G'day and welcome to Grad Chat, your opportunity to find out about graduate research here at Queen's. My name is CJ the DJ and I am your host for this week's Grad Chat. Of course, a show like this could not happen without the support of the School of Graduate Studies and CFRC, so thank you. And as those of you who have been following us, this is our third year of Grad Chat, so we're very, very excited about that. Now, don't forget, if your mates miss the shows at any time, you can download the podcast the next day on either SoundCloud or iTunes. So no excuse not to hear what our awesome students and postdoctoral fellows are doing. Now, as you know, today is part two of the nursing program series. Last week, of course, we listened to Vanessa Silva de Silva, who is doing a PhD in nursing. Uh, But today, I would like to introduce you to Natasha Larkin, who is doing a Master in Nursing, Primary Healthcare Nurse Practitioner strain. And I have to say that slowly because I knew I'd get it wrong otherwise, because it's such a long word for a program title. But there we go. So welcome to Grad Chat, Natasha. Thank you. Okay, now I understand nursing is in the family. So um, how so and, and where have you been nursing to this point? Because you're doing the nurse practitioner streams, which is a little bit different to what most people know about research um, Grad, grad programs. Right. So nursing is in my family. My mother is a, um, or was a registered nurse. She was a cardiac, cardiac care nurse. Oh, great. And then she was in public health and then management later. So I grew up familiar with the nursing role and she didn't actually push me to enter nursing. I kind of found it on my own after a different undergraduate degree. <laughs> And then my husband is also a registered nurse. Oh, okay. We met working in Moose Factory, Ontario, which is a small First Nations reserve that's on an island quite far up north. Brilliant. (laughs) So uh, we met working up there, and we worked there for three years before deciding to go a little bit further north and traveling up to Dawson City, Yukon. Oh, my goodness. You really have gone north, haven't you? (laughs) And we worked there for three years in Dawson City. They were were opening a new small hospital. It used to be a small nursing station, and they decided to change it into a hospital. So we were there for the opening of that new hospital and then worked there for three years. Fantastic. So what brought you back to down south, I'd say? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm I'm from Northern Ontario originally and my husband's from New York so our family was a little bit Ah. halfway in between and then also I wanted to start my master's and my graduate studies and I chose Queen's University to do that so this was a natural place for us to come to. Okay so I'm going to ask the magical question why Queen's because you mean there's some great nursing programs throughout the country. Right so Queen's University has a specific nurse practitioner program that includes a primary health care nurse practitioner stream that was a specific field that I was interested in and then I can talk about it a little bit more later on but they're also unique by starting clinical placements really early in their first year. Ah uh, right. Which okay. is yeah which is a great learning experience and that was something that I valued in the university. So with clinical placements, I mean, you're a nurse anyway, you've done a lot of clinical work, right? you've been there. So what's the difference then between what you've already done as a gen- general nurse, I'm, yes. I'm assuming that's the correct word, to what a nurse practitioner 
would do. My specific background in nursing would be mostly in acute care and that's where I have worked whereas this nurse practitioner role is generally working in primary health care. So those are different areas of nursing that you would be practicing in and as well there's a different scope of practice that a nurse practitioner has. So a nurse practitioner has extended skills and more autonomy and authority to do things like advanced assessment, diagnostics so and that triage stuff that we we see on movies (laughs) right (laughs) something like that (laughs) something like that yes yeah I don't want to confuse people but I have to go back to my movies and my shows (laughs) yes yes so a registered nurse is registered with the college of nurses and then a nurse practitioner has further experience as well as graduate education that includes knowledge and skills and at the end they have to write a qualifying exam and register with the college of nurses and a nurse practitioner is actually a registered nurse in the extended class. And when you do that, you have the authority to do these advanced assessment and diagnostic skills. Which are traditionally done by the doctors, I'm assuming. Correct. Yes. Yeah. So the role of a nurse practitioner would be more similar to the role of a family physician. Okay. So I'm going to, and I'm probably jumping around here, but I guess then, so why did you want to do this particular program? Is it because of your past experiences up at Moose Factory and the Yukon? Dawson Dawson City? Yes. So this, a nurse practitioner can focus in three different fields. They can focus in primary health care, in adult care, or in pediatric care. Okay. If you focus on adult care, uh, adult care nurse practitioner, then you are limited to working with that population. And if you focus on pediatric care, then you're limited on, you're limited to working with that population. Whereas the primary health care stream, you are working with the population across the lifespan. from So from newborns to right. elderly patients. Patients, and in that way, you wouldn't necessarily be limited. So as a nurse practitioner, if you were thinking about working up north or in rural areas or remote areas, then this way you can see the entire population without being limited in your practice. So is that something you would you want to do later? I mean, obviously, both of both you and your husband yeah. like living up north and or maybe you don't maybe that was just a good good way of uh, getting into doing more nursing right because there's a lot more hands-on and there's less of you I think right now we don't know where the future will take us but we want to we want to have all of our we don't want to close any doors right now close, right yeah you want to keep your options open. yeah we, want to, we want to keep all of our options open and so if we did want to work up north or work in a remote area we could I'm from northern Ontario so my heart is definitely in the north right so I think that eventually that's something that we would potentially want to do again. Because you've got a young family too. Yes, we have I mean, a young family. Yeah, we so have... which you've got to take that in consideration as well because they want to see their grandparents. Exactly, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and that is part of a big part of the reason of why we're in Kingston right. as well. Okay. Yes. That's nice that you can do, you can still do your studies and um, have family, which I, I know is not an easy thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one of the things we're looking at the SGS is how we can sort of help our students who are parents as well. Right. Um, be able to be able to have time for study and family. Yes, yes. Yeah. And it definitely helps to have that support as well. Great. Yeah. Okay. So what I'm going to ask you now, though, is with, with the program that you're doing, as I mentioned earlier, often when people think of grad studies they think of all the research-based programs so a master's is a research-based master's a PhD of course is a thesis research-based right but they forget there's other 
types of particularly master's programs that can be considered professional programs which or other ones where more course-based or sometimes a combination of course-based practicum and some sort of thesis or research project that they have to do. Now you don't have to, my understanding is you don't have to write a thesis in this particular program. Correct. But can you explain instead then what you, a bit more about what you do in the program whether it be the coursework or the research or or projects or whatever. I mean, you've mentioned a little bit about what it's designed for, but what are, what have you actually been doing? Okay, so I'll try and be really clear about this because I know that it can be really confusing with all the different options that are out there. So I'll just reiterate that I'm doing the Master's of Nursing Primary Healthcare Nurse Practitioner Program, which is a master's degree along with a diploma, which gives me that additional training to become an, a nurse practitioner. And I'll just repeat again that a nurse practitioner is a registered nurse that has additional education and training and who completes that national qualifying exam that can then register as a nurse practitioner with the College of Nurses. So this program at Queen's is made up of a consortium of nine Ontario, nine universities in Ontario that offer this program. So there's programs in Lakehead, York, McMaster, Ottawa, Laurentian, Windsor, Western and Queen's this Queen's program and Ryerson as well. They Mm -hmm. all have that same program that they're offering. This program was established in 1995 by the Council of Ontario University Programs in Nursing, or QPIN. And the idea was to begin to start to standardize education for nurse practitioners across a jurisdiction so that they can ensure that nurse practitioners have training that includes a master's degree at a minimum. Right. So that that can start to become the standard for NPs. And then once again, this program is specifically for the primary healthcare stream. And there are programs out there in Canada to do the adult and pediatric stream as well, if that was something that people were interested in. Uh And this program consists of, I have specific Masters of Nursing courses that make up the Masters requirements. And these are courses on how to conduct and interpret different types of research, as well as nursing theory classes. So when I take these Masters of Nursing courses, I'm with other master students who are writing a thesis. So we get to collaborate together and work together. Oh, that's good. Mm -hmm. That is, it is really good and it's really interesting to work with nurses with different backgrounds and different aspirations but to come together and learn research together. I have those Masters of Nursing courses and then which make up my master's requirement and then I have four courses that are set out by the consortium that everyone in those nine universities are doing those same courses. So some of them are offered online and in seminars and some are offered in small group classes and those courses are pathophysiology, learning about advanced assessment and diagnostic skills, learning about therapeutics, as well as the role of the nurse practitioner today. Right, right. And as well, last in the summer after your first year, you do a large research project. So at Queen's University right now, they're doing a Joanna Briggs Institute systematic review. Right. And that's a project that we work on all all summer instead of doing the thesis degree that the other Masters of Nurses are doing. Okay. And this systematic... That's one of the things that differentiates... 
Correct. Yes. Mm -hmm. So those Masters of Nursing students are developing a thesis and working on that, whereas the people in my stream are doing a systematic review, which doesn't have to be published, but there is the option to publish it. And some people do go that route as well. And then the Masters of Nursing students don't have those extra four courses put on by the consortium that are specific to the nurse practitioner role. Right. And then you also get to do practicum, though. Correct. And then in addition to those... Which the research people wouldn't be doing. Yes, there would be that clinical placement. And it's great that at Queen's we start in the first year. It means that the first year is a really heavy year in course load and clinical work. But with good time management skills, it is possible to complete all of that work. And I think that it is really great that we get to start clinical placement so early on as well. That's great. Mm -hmm. That seems like um, for a nurse, I think that's a really nice one, isn't it? Because it is a combination of both. You're keeping your, your training going. Your I know for me, if I don't practice things, I forget. Right. <laughs> and that's one thing we don't want you to forget as a nurse yes. when you go back into the field. Yes. Forget all the other things that you've learned as well. So I think that's a really good uh, good way of doing it. Do you do two practicums or is it just the one? Every semester we have a different practicum. Um, in the first year you have two practicums and this can be in family health teams, in community health centres, right. even in the emergency department in the hospital here. And Queen's has a very large catchment area. So it, right. so it can be, your placement could be as far as Ottawa or as far as Peterborough and I believe up until Brockville potentially. Oh, okay. right. And you would be traveling there one day a week to do these placements with other, usually with other nurse practitioners. That's really good though. Yes, what, it so is. once a week isn't too bad. It's not what, like you have to find another accommodation. Right. Once a week for the first year, first and second semester, again in the second year. And then when we are done our second year, for three months in that summer, we have a practicum where you have three months of full-time uh, clinical work. That's good. Yes, it is good. Yeah. Yes. And, and do you get to choose which environment you want to be in? You don't necessarily get to choose, but you do get to voice what you would prefer, and right. they do take that into consideration. Right. So would you do more of yours, say, that for that three months more up north in a smaller community? I don't know if it would be possible to go outside of the catchment oh, yes, area within course. Queen's. Yes, sorry. But there are, very, there are a lot of rural and remote areas within that catchment area that would okay. be similar to working up north as well, that would okay. be small practices. I, yeah. think, I think this is a, just a great profession because, I mean, particularly in those smaller, as you said, smaller rural areas and out-of-the-way sort of areas, if you can't have a doctor mm-hmm. around, you need other people around who can sort of do that first first call sort of yes. work that you need to do. Yes, exactly. So brilliant, absolutely brilliant. So what I'm going to do now is ask you, I'm going to ask you a little bit later about the research that you did do. Okay. But right now, why is it important to incorporate research into the nurse practitioner program? Because you could easily just do all the coursework and the practicums. Why, why, why is it important to have that research? Right. So in with advanced nursing care that comes with being a nurse practitioner, you're required to have the knowledge, skills and judgment to competently provide care to individuals, families and communities. Right. And that's a requirement from the our basic standards and College of Nurses. You really need those strong critical appraisal skills and those are developed from your master's program and your graduate education. Okay. As an NP, you need research in a lot of different ways. One of the most obvious ways would be when you are performing evidence-based practice. Is it because they want you, like you talked about the critical thinking? Correct. I mean, I would have thought nurses anyway would have a certain amount of critical thinking just on the job because you've got to look at 
what's going on. So you have to be appraising. I mean, appraising is probably a different word to critical thinking, but you're always appraising what's going on around you. Correct. So why go that next step of having the educational? With the advanced scope comes advanced skills that are required to interpret all the information that's out there. That's the interpretation. In evidence-based practice, there's always new information that's emerging every day in medicine, and it's up to the nurse practitioner to take that information and interpret it. So there would be new randomized control trials and new studies coming out every day that wouldn't necessarily translate into practice. Okay. We have to understand how to interpret those findings um, and critically appraise the findings to understand how they're relevant to what we do and then find a way to translate those into the decision-making of your practice. Okay. So, for example, with interpreting diagnostic tests, when you order a clinical test and the result comes back, it's not necessarily always black and white. The test is only ever as the answer is only ever as good as the test itself. Right. So nurse practitioners have to understand how good that test may be at detecting positive test results, right. as well as how good that test is at detecting positive test results of people that may not necessarily have the disease or people that don't have the disease but that got a false positive. Right. And no test is perfect, so we have to understand how good that test is ident- identifying the people who are truly are negative or truly are positive, and then take all those factors into account and be able to interpret that to the patient sitting in front of you in a way that they can understand. Does it also mean, though, that, I mean, because depending on you where, depends on what kind of test you can can run, because not all hospitals or areas have all the new testing facilities. Correct. You know what I mean? Or to be able to have access to them quickly. Mm -hmm. So does it also meaning you're having to understand the limitations of where you're working, the environment you're working in, as to the tests that are available to you and to be able to interpret those the best way possible to know a true positive or false or what else do you need to know to clarify the results you're getting? Yes, definitely. Okay. Yes. Not easy. (laughs) (laughs) Because we'd all like every hospital and everything to have everything you need, but it's never going to happen, is it? Right, right, right. (laughs) So that would be utilizing research in the clinical practice of a nurse practitioner. Right. But then nurse practitioners can also be involved in research, so doing quality assurance programs, making sure that nurse practitioners are meeting certain standards of care that could be um, working on a research project using your research skills. You could start your own research looking at how effective a certain intervention is on a population. Yeah. So is this then they're expecting the Ontario group are expecting nurse practitioners to be researchers when they're out there they're not just a nurse I mean the nurse can go in and can clock on and clock off so to speak yes but they're wanting you to clock on and clock off but also think a little wider definitely and seeing what else you can be doing wherever you are to improve wherever you are that's basically is that what they're asking yes and with these additional critical appraisal skills and research skills it can set nurse practitioners up to be leaders in healthcare and to really be innovative and show the work that we're doing and go into many different fields and work with other groups as you said because you could be working with epidemiologists if you're looking at population health areas and things like that or even physical therapists and OT and all those sorts of people I'm assuming correct yeah Yes, yeah. Okay. And it's a really unique role because you would have the hands-on clinic 
clinical experience of seeing what is happening in your practice, and then right. you can combine that with research to really validate or whatever yes. what, what's going on. Yes, and what else needs to be done? Yeah. Well, can we change something? <laughs> Correct. <laughs> I love it. Love it. Okay. So how is so? I mean, you've you've kind of mentioned this, but how is the role of the nurse practitioner evolving in healthcare today? Because a long time it was you were a nurse, you were a midwife, that you may be a specialist in one area of the hospital. Right. But the nurse practitioner is really um, getting a lot more people going into it. Right. So in Canada, the first education program for nurse practitioners was in Dalhousie University that started in the, I believe in the 1970s. Before this, RNs were working in the expanded scope in outpost nursing and rural northern right. nursing. Right. But that was the first education program specifically for nurse practitioners. And then in the 1980s, the nurse practitioner education kind of came to a halt in the 1980s due to a number of different factors. There was a perceived oversupply of physicians at that time. Mm-hmm. There wasn't any remuneration mechanism for nurse practitioners that was official. It was missing the legislative piece at that time. And there also wasn't a lot of public awareness regarding the role of nurse practitioners or support really from medicine and nursing. Right. So the education for nurse practitioners in the 80s just kind of ended there. But there have always been nurse practitioners practicing even after after the education had slowed down. And now there's a resurgence of nurse practitioners. And this is a part of what the consortium is doing by really validating and standardizing this education for nurse practitioners so that we can begin to validate the nurse practitioner role. So there's been a lot of changes to certain legislative pieces, such as Bill 179 of the Regulated Health Professions Act has really made the basis for a lot of changes in the recent increases of scope of practice for nurse practitioners. Some of these changes are still in process, and some of them still have to go through a number of system levels before we can see them in practice. But those changes are that increased scope of practice that I've been talking about that nurse practitioners are authorized to do. So there's been recently expanded medications that nurse practitioners can prescribe, including controlled substances. There are increased types of diagnostic tests that can be ordered including x-rays and ultrasounds. They have increased the types of laboratory tests that nurse practitioners can order. And NPs are also allowed to admit and discharge in hospital now, as well as have the authority most recently to participate in medical assistance in dying. So some of those changes are still underway and require further structural and organizational change to make that change streamlined. Right. But the barriers to NPs practicing to their full scope of practice are really starting to go away now so that nurse practitioners can work to their full scope. Right. It has changed a lot, hasn't it? It has, yes. So as I mentioned, the education is being more standardized and the role of the NP by the public is also becoming better understood and more well-recognized, especially with the um, emergence of nurse practitioner-led clinics, for example, right? And the, and the continued support of those by the government and by other healthcare professionals as well. Do you think with the fact that we are getting more nurse practitioners, we know here, even here in Kingston, there's a shortage of doctors. 
family doctors. Is this a way, also a way of filling that void for at least those things that are easier to diagnose before then saying, I actually know you need to see a doctor for this, but it's the, the usual triage. What, what can we do first using, for instance, a nurse practitioner before someone has to go to a doctor? Right. So I don't think that the nurse practitioner's role is there to replace a family physician role or any other role that is out there. I think that now, especially in primary health care, we're looking more and more at intercollaborative processes. So how can we use the resources that we have as smartly as we can okay. to reach more people and more of our population? And nurse practitioners can work in areas definitely where there is a shortage of physicians or they can work alongside physicians right. and really collaborate together so that we can make the most of everyone's w- time, really, yes. isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. OK, that's great. So I'm getting there. <laughs> and then so why did you choose the primary health care stream for the nurse practitioner and, and what is the importance I guess of primary health care today? Primary health care specifically is looking at those underlying social determinants of health that nurses all know so well. Those social determinants of health <laughs> include things like housing, education, environment, income. So these are all factors that ultimately affect the health of individuals, families, and communities. Right. And the idea is to remove any socioeconomic or political barriers that impact these factors that in an attempt to improve overall health okay. of people. So it's kind of bigger picture thinking. For example, when someone shows up in the ER, they're showing up with an acute issue and this can be fixed and the patient can be sent home. But whatever factors that led that person to be there in the first place would still be in place. So if this, for an example, if this person develops pneumonia because of poor housing conditions or cramped living conditions, poor access to healthy food, that pneumonia can be treated. But if we don't address those socioeconomic factors or those social determinants of health, then it's just going to keep happening. They're going to come back again, yeah. So primary health care is looking at those important factors. And primary care is a part of primary health care that is the clinical aspect. So looking at specific health care services, like when you see your family doctor, it would be including health promotion, illness and injury prevention, and chronic disease management. Okay. See, that, that's that's a good distinction there that you've, you've shown about the, the primary health care and then the primary care. Right. Yes. Because yeah. a lot of people would just think it's all all the same. Correct. But, yes. But there is those differentiations. Yes. And I chose this stream specifically, again, because I didn't want to be limited in my population so I could right. keep all of my options open, but also because I wanted to really start looking, addressing those root issues after working in acute care for so long, which can be very satisfying. Right. I wanted to take a new approach and an upstream approach and really start to look at how as a nurse practitioner with someone with more skills and authority and research, how can I start to expand on what I know and start to affect more change? Right. So they don't have to come in in the first place. Correct. Right. Yes. Brilliant. Seems like you've got it all sorted. (laughs) Okay, so so research isn't the big part of this, a research um, project, but you, you did do last summer a Joanna Briggs Institute systematic review as part of your one of your requirements. Can you tell me a little bit about that and, and what did you do it on? Sure. So the systematic review that I did last summer was a Joanna Briggs Institute 
systematic review, and I did it on the topic of remote births. And this Mm -hmm. was the same topic that I chose to research for all of my master's courses, which is kind of nice that you can follow that along the entire year and really sink your teeth into one specific topic. And this topic of remote births is very close to my heart because I have both nursing experience and personal experience on this topic. When I was working up north, I cared for many women who had to travel far distances to deliver their babies in hospitals and be in that hospital waiting to deliver for up to four weeks, potentially, oh, wow. um, relocated in a, in a new community. And then when I lived in um, Dawson City, it wasn't my hometown by any means, but I did have the experience of having to relocate to Whitehorse, um, which was... 600 kilometers south of where I was living at the time to await delivery. Seriously? Mm-hmm. So That's crazy. <laughs> in, in Canada, um, the practice is that women who are living in remote areas that don't have access to cesarean section or certain hospital practices, that they are expected around 37 weeks gestation to relocate to a community that they, has cesarean section capabilities. Right. And we need all the specialists. Um, equipment and everything, don't you? Yes, 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 that have access to blood products and cesarean section. Mm -hmm. So they relocate to these tertiary hospitals and await to be delivered for four to six weeks, potentially. Which isn't good, because you're away from family. That's costing you being that... Right. Away for that long. Right. And the, the topic of this, of remote births, have have been well studied, looking at the negative and positive effects, but there hadn't been one systematic review that was done yet, and that's right. why I chose that topic. And what did, what did you find? So the review that I did, in the end, showed how the impacts of this policy contribute to the vulnerability of an already vulnerable population. Right. And that kind of lines up with the other small research projects that were done as well. Right. I had done a search database on Medline, Embase, and Sinol. And I had come up with 259 articles through database searching that I found. And in the end, chose six qualitative studies that I used for my synthesis. Right. And I chose the to look at all qualitative studies. I didn't narrow my research down to a specific one. And I was looking at the, my qualitative objective was to identify the meaningfulness of the experience of having to travel for childbirth. Okay. So my participants that I included in the systematic review were pregnant women from rural areas in developed countries. Uh, And I wanted to look specifically at developed countries, not developing countries, because there's a different set of issues there. That phenomenon of interest that I was looking at was the experience of women who have to travel for childbirth. And then the three-step search strategy was utilized. And my six papers that I had chosen, I had extracted data from those by using the Joanna Briggs Institute Qualitative Assessment and Review Instrument Tool. And then I developed four synthesis topics in the end, which had emerged from 12 categories, which had emerged from 45 findings. Right. And those main synthesis topics were lack of choice, increased stress, experiences with urban births, and impacts on relationships. Could I, could I assume then that some of the things might be obvious, the outcomes might be obvious, but the one thing I guess that I probably hadn't thought about is that if I was living in a remote area, what do I want best, what's best for me and my child? Is it 
to sacrifice myself and go away for three to six weeks to another area so I get the best quality care. Correct. Or or is it my right to be able to stay at home and have that care come to me? Mm-hmm. Interestingly, out of 45 findings, there's only one positive finding that included feelings of safety and security. So right. so one finding where someone felt safe and secure by having to travel for childbirth and being in that hospital waiting to deliver. I think that I didn't limit my search to the Indigenous population, but that this practice does affect Indigenous population in a different way than everyone else because there are more cultural implications such as connection to the land and community celebrations so it would yeah it would be very very different so you almost need to do a separate project Correct, yes. And there, there there, has been a lot of research on this, looking at not only what are the impacts of having to travel for a childbirth, but also safety, right. um, how to implement childbirth in remote areas. And there are a number of birthing facilities in the north that are successfully happening right now that have actually improved maternal and neonatal outcomes overall. Okay, well, that's great. Mm-hmm. That's great. Mm-hmm. It seems like it's a it's a project that needs to come to to everyone's mind a little bit more. I mean, I think there's a lot of things we need to look at in right. the remote areas of how right. we can better support um, our our communities out there. Right. So um, hopefully they will take note of this, and maybe some of our masters and PhD students in the research stream mm-hmm. can pick up on some of this. Mm-hmm. And, go, and you go, thanks very much. You've done a bit of a literature review for me. Let's take that. <laughs> And move it to the next yes. stage. Yes. Yeah. So that's great. All right. Well, thank you very much for explaining some of that to me. Okay. Well, Natasha, we're going to have to call it quits there. But you've, you've really explained what the Primary Healthcare Nurse Practitioner Master's Program is all about. So thank you very much for that. Thank you. Um, hopefully a lot more people will understand the differences um, in our series of on graduate nursing. So I appreciate you coming in and talking to us about that. Thank you very much. Thank you. Let me see. So that's it. Yeah. Another week done. I can't believe it. Yes, it's done. So uh, next week we will have part three of our nursing series when we interview Evan Keyes from the Master of Nursing Science program. So we'll see the differences. Until next week, this is CJ the DJ signing off with a big hooray. This show is produced in collaboration with CFRC at Queen's University, Kingston, Ontario, with infrastructure support from Queen's Faculty of Engineering and Applied Science. CFRC is located on traditional Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee territory. Find more great podcasts at podcasts.cfrc.ca.